0: Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this afternoon we are studying what Scripture teaches about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Before we dig into uh, what Scripture teaches about the Holy Spirit, it's good for us to take a step back and reflect on the immensity of what we are doing here this afternoon. The Holy Spirit is God. He is true God. He's the third person of the Holy Trinity. And so as we study the person and work of the Holy Spirit, we are studying as humans, we are studying God. It's such a glorious privilege. It's far greater than we so often realize. And it also requires great humility On our part. See, usually when we study something in the world through science, such as plants or animals, we as humans can stand over top of that object and study it from, so to speak, a superior point of view. That's how we usually study things. However, the study of God. Specifically, the person and work of the Holy Spirit is different. As humans, we never can come to the point of standing over God to study Him. Instead, when it comes to studying who God is, we always stand underneath Him. We are inferiors studying someone who is far superior than us. Again, that requires humility on our part it also means understanding that we can only study god and the holy spirit if god himself chooses to reveal himself to us and we must submit to the way that he reveals himself and study that well by his grace god has he's revealed himself to us in the bible in his word And he now invites us, he calls us, and even commands us to study who he is from the word so that we might know him rightly, that we might praise and glorify him with all of our being. And that is one of the main purposes also of studying the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Again, we often take this for granted, but what we're doing here this afternoon is the greatest privilege imaginable. It's also very rewarding. As we study the person and work of the Holy Spirit, we see wonderful things that He has done for us and is doing for us. And as we grow in understanding, of the, we will grow in our understanding of the riches we have in God and in Christ. And so, as we study the Holy Spirit this afternoon, we're going to see specifically that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Power. And He gives new life to God's people. That brings us to the sermon theme. The Spirit of power gives new life to God's people. I know we don't have any points listed uh, in the liturgy sheet. I've decided to just make some simple points for the sermon to follow the flow. We're going to look at the Spirit's work in the Old Testament, first of all. We'll shift to the Spirit's work in the New Testament. And then we'll look at the Spirit's work in our own lives. Now, in Lord's Day 20, the first thing we confess about the Holy Spirit is this. He is together with the Father and the Son, true and eternal God. So, the Holy Spirit is true God, not any less God than the Father or the Son. He is equally powerful, all-knowing, all-present, and infinite. The Athanasian Creed puts it like this. The Godhead of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is one. Their glory is equal. Their majesty is co-eternal. And yet, even though the members of the Trinity are one in essence, there are still a unique things about each member of the Trinity. And studying each member of the Trinity from Scripture reveals those unique things. Who that. Person is in the Trinity and what he does for God's people. Now, when you initially study the Scriptures, you might think that we know little about the Holy Spirit, or else maybe just far less than the Father or the Son. However, Scripture actually reveals quite a lot about who he is and what he does. Take only the Old Testament, for example. You might be tempted to think that the Holy Spirit is barely there in the Old Testament and that He only really shows up in the New Testament. However, that thinking is a mistake. A study of the Old Testament reveals a very active Holy Spirit, and what He does has a profound impact on God's people. For all, consider only this. Whenever anyone spoke the word of the lord it was the holy spirit speaking through that person as an example david proclaims in second samuel 23 the spirit of the lord speaks by me his word is on my tongue listen also to zechariah 7 verse 12 israel made their hearts diamond hard lest they should hear the law And the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by His Spirit through the former prophets. So, it's clear that when the prophets spoke, the Holy Spirit was speaking through them. This is something the New Testament emphasizes also when the New Testament authors quote the Old Testament, such as the Psalms of David. Often they preface those quotes by saying that the Holy Spirit spoke through the mouth of David or someone else. And this fact alone shows a very active Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. In fact, it might make him the most active member of the Trinity. He was speaking through the prophets and all the other authors. He was constantly teaching God's people. Revealing God's will to them. Proclaiming to them the promises of God. Showing God's people who their God is. And by having the words of the authors recorded down in writing, he has given us access to those same precious words that he has spoken. And he's done that so that we would know God. That we would understand his glorious plan of salvation in Jesus Christ. That we would see his glory, his majesty, his holiness, his love. And that we would learn to trust him with our entire heart and serve him with our entire life. That is the purpose of the scriptures. Now, this work is not all, of course. The Holy Spirit is active in other ways. He was active in the creation of the world. Right in Genesis 1, verse 2, the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the deep. He was present and active in creation, most likely uh, serving as a preparing function for the creation of the world. He not only actively worked in creation, but he continually uh, renews creation. And that's so often how Scripture describes the Spirit's work. As the one who gives life, sustains life, and renews it. In addition to that, the Holy Spirit empowered the leaders of God's people to carry out the special tasks given to them by God. We see this time and time again. For example, the Holy Spirit empowered Bezalel in the book of Exodus to construct much of the tabernacle furnishings without the work of the spirit there would be no tabernacle the holy spirit equipped the 70 elders in the book of numbers to help moses with his work without the spirit's work moses would be left all alone in leading god's people moses successor joshua was called a man with the spirit of god the Holy Spirit empowered him to, to lead Israel to make the conquest of Canaan. Without the Spirit, there would have been no conquest. We could go on and on. The Holy Spirit empowered men like Othniel, Gideon, Jephthah, and Samson to judge Israel and to fight God's enemies. Without the Spirit's power, they could do nothing. After David was anointed king over Israel, it says a spirit rushed upon him from that day forward. He equipped David to serve as a good king to bless Israel. And all of these examples show us so clearly that the success of God's people, their flourishing, depended entirely on the empowering work of God, the Holy Spirit. See, without the Spirit's work, God's people are going to fail. Without the Spirit's work, we have no hope of carrying out God's commands, no hope of fulfilling God's plan, or serving God's people. And our success, if I can use that word, our success as a church depends entirely on the power and the work of the Holy Spirit doesn't come from us, first and foremost. We are nothing without Him. And even when we look at the Old Testament, when we don't see the Spirit equipping specific people, this also helps us to understand the Spirit's power. You see, the Spirit's absence also in equipping certain people, always sets up a contrast to when he would come in full in the New Testament. To see this, we can look only at our reading from Isaiah 32. This passage first describes uh, complacent women in Israel, devoid of spiritual life, not bothering to serve the Lord. They are at ease. They do not fear the Lord They do not walk in his ways. And their spiritual deadness is matched with the devastation coming upon the land. The Lord says here the grape harvest fails and the fruit harvest will not come. But now look at the contrast made by the coming of the Holy Spirit in the second half of this passage. It says, when the Spirit is poured out upon us from on high and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, the fruitful field is deemed a forest. Then justice will dwell in the wilderness. And righteousness abide in the fruitful field. And the effect of righteousness will be peace. And the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. Now, both of these things are connected to the Spirit's work. Both creation and the spiritual condition of God's people. Are renewed through the Holy Spirit. Where there was death apart from his work, now life flourishes when he comes. And that's the power and the change brought about by the Spirit of God, both in physical creation and in our own lives as God's children. And that's why the outpouring of the Holy Spirit was such an anticipated event by the Old Testament prophets. The Lord promises to pour out the Spirit not only here in Isaiah 32, but at numerous points. Repeatedly, the promise of the Holy Spirit is accompanied by signs of of life flourishing and growing and and God's people flourishing as God's people. Although the Spirit was active among God's people of old, the old covenant with Israel is not a covenant characterized by the energizing work of the Spirit. It's not at the forefront. Instead, we see within Israel, without the Spirit's work, so much rebellion, sin, apostasy, hardness of heart, and disunity. Without the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, this would be the reality for us as well. That brings us to the second point, the Spirit's work in the New Testament. So that would be the reality for us too. But look at the difference the outpouring of the Holy Spirit made for God's people. In the New Testament, the work of the Spirit is not expanded in terms of its power, but in terms of its scope. God's people as a whole are made new by the Spirit. Just look at what happened on the day of Pentecost. We read about that from Acts 2. On the day of Pentecost, the power of the Holy Spirit was unleashed on the church as the Lord Jesus Christ poured out the Spirit on his people. And the Holy Spirit filled the apostles in Jerusalem, and what did they do? Suddenly they began to preach the wonders of God to to the Jews who gathered there to listen. And they could speak that message also in other languages. Languages they had not learned previously. The Spirit enabled this in them to spread the gospel to every nation under heaven. See, in the Old Covenant, in previous centuries, the good news of God was limited largely, not exclusively, but largely to the people of Israel. But the Spirit was empowering the apostles to bring the good news of salvation to all the earth. And these were men who previously had been captivated by so much fear. Now they spoke God's word boldly by the Spirit's power. We read from the last part of Peter's sermon. Look at how he boldly proclaims God's word to the people there. Without hesitation, he confronts all these people with their sin, saying, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And this is the same Peter who some 50 days before this denied the Lord Jesus three times. Here he is now, boldly proclaiming the Lord Jesus Christ, confronting the people with their sin, calling them to repentance. Why can he do this? It's because of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. In himself, Peter would fail, and we would too. We rely completely upon him. Look at how this, the Spirit changed the people who listened says, when the people heard this message from Peter, they were cut to the heart. Literally, we can translate it as, they were, they were pierced. They were stabbed. Right? The Holy Spirit took the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and drove it right into the core of their very being, rattling their conscience with the Word of God, convicted them of their sin, and their need for a Savior. What a change that was from that verse I quoted earlier from Zechariah 7, verse 12. Remember there it says that in the Old Covenant, so often, the people of Israel made their hearts diamond-hard so that they would not hear the words of the Lord of hosts. But here, on the day of Pentecost, The Spirit, by his power, cuts right through that hardness of heart to change God's people. And having been convicted in their hearts of their sin, the apostle or the people can only ask the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Right? They saw so clearly their, their need, their need for change. They knew they had sinned greatly. They knew they needed their sins taken care of, or they were were doomed. Peter then preached the gospel of the forgiveness of sins in Christ, and they were brought to faith. From here onward, their lives were completely changed. They were new people. It was a complete renovation of their thoughts, their words, their hearts, their desires, their priorities, you name it. Yes, they were not yet made perfect. But an irreversible change happened in their hearts and in their lives, and they were made radically new. God had saved them through the powerful working of the Holy Spirit. These are some of the things Lord's Day 20 is getting at when it describes the saving work of the Spirit. There we confess. What uh, What do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? First, he is together with the Father and the Son, true and eternal God. Second, He is also given to me to make me, by true faith, share in Christ and in all His benefits, to comfort me and to remain with me forever. That brings us to our last point, the Spirit's work in us and in our lives. The Holy Spirit is given to me, we confess. And every believer can confess this most precious truth. The Holy Spirit is given to me. You hear that promise in Acts 2. Peter says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. No exceptions. Those who repented and believed in Jesus Christ were baptized for the forgiveness of their sins they received the Holy Spirit. Or think of Ephesians 1 verse 13, When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Christ, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. How do we know we have the Holy Spirit within us? Well, God's word assures us that we have the Holy Spirit when we believe in Jesus Christ. And listen to what we confess in the catechism about what the Spirit does. He makes me by true faith share in Christ and in all his benefits. You see, the Holy Spirit unites us to the risen and ascended Lord, Jesus. And through that union, we gain access to Jesus' saving work, all of it. The Scripture says that Christ is our head and we are his body. And so we are inseparably joined to him. What the head has, the body shares in. And the he- our head, Jesus Christ, He is perfect righteousness. He has eternal life through His resurrection. And being joined to Him as His body by the Holy Spirit means we share in those same gifts that He has. So, the Holy Spirit makes me, by true faith, share in Christ and in all His benefits. We also confess, the Holy Spirit comforts me. Why does the Catechism use this specific wording of comforting me? Well, it's because of one of the names Scripture, scripture sometimes uses for the Holy Spirit. In passages such as John 14, 15, and 16, the Lord Jesus calls the Holy Spirit Uh, literally, it's transliterated as the paraclete. This is a rich term that's hard to translate only uh, using one English word. The ESV translates it as the helper. Other translations use the word advocate, comforter, or counselor. And all these terms teach us something of the, the rich work of the Holy Spirit for God's people. The Holy Spirit helps us. He counsels us. He comforts us. And how does He do that exactly? Well, there's nothing really secretive or magical about it, although it is marvelous and magnificent. The Holy Spirit uses God's promises found in God's Word He applies it to our hearts. Theologian Sinclair Ferguson describes the counseling work of the Holy Spirit in a helpful way. He writes, The Spirit's advice to us is is this. Keep your eyes fixed on Christ. See how wonderful He is? Trust Him. Trust His saving work. Live for Him. Follow Him. Serve Him all your life. And because of his ministry, Ferguson goes on, we respond, yes, I want to do that. Empower me to do that. And so through his ongoing counsel, we keep looking to Christ and loving and serving him. Indeed, the Holy Spirit points us to Jesus Christ, to God's promises in Christ, assuring us that we have salvation in our Lord Jesus. He also works in our hearts to follow the Lord Jesus more and more in our lives. He does it through God's Word. And so by the grace and power of the Holy Spirit, we keep looking to Christ, keep loving and serving Him. And the wonderful thing about this counseling work of the Holy Spirit is that it continues right to the end of our lives. The Holy Spirit is given to me not only to comfort me, but to remain with me forever. And so the Christian is never truly alone in this life. Christ really is with us to the end. as He's promised us. He's with us through the Holy Spirit. He's in us. And he will never leave us. And seeing all these blessings given through the Holy Spirit, doesn't that make you want to pray? for the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in your, in your heart and life? You know, ask your Father in heaven to continue and to increase the Spirit's work in your life. Ask God to fill you with His Holy Spirit every day. The Lord Jesus teaches us in Luke 11, the Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. i failing to pray this. Would be an absolute tragedy. The Holy Spirit and His comforting work are the source of so many blessings. By His power, we understand the gospel and can confess in faith Jesus Christ is Lord. By His leading, we can discern the right, or discern right from wrong through God's word. By His convicting power, we can know the truth believe the truth about God and love the truth. By the Holy Spirit, we will bear the fruit of the Spirit, things like patience and kindness and goodness. Scripture says the Holy Spirit intercedes for the saints according to God's will. And by the inner working of the Holy Spirit, we call on God as our Father. And so again, let me encourage you, every day, pray for an increase the Spirit's work in your life. Pray that the Father would fill you with the Holy Spirit, that you might serve Him and receive these glorious benefits. The more the Holy Spirit works in us in this way, the more He will also knit our hearts together in love as, as believers. Look at what happened in Acts 2. The end of the chapter describes it as follows. Those who received Peter's word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Then listen to the fellowship these new believers had with each other. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. This was a result of the Holy Spirit's work and his power. Fellowship and unity among God's people can be a fragile thing. In fact, we do see that truth revealed, In the book of Acts, just a little bit while later after this. The reality is, it didn't take long before divisions and disagreements arose in the churches. However, the beautiful picture here in Acts 2 of the fellowship of the believers shows us that it's the Holy Spirit who has the power to unite believers together. He lives in Christ. And he lives in us as individual members. So he joins us together as one. You are one in the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit. It's no wonder then that Ephesians 4 teaches us about unity in the church as follows. Apostle Paul writes by the Spirit, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you were called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So, beloved, pray not only for the work of the Holy Spirit in your life as an individual Christian, but pray for the work of the Holy Spirit in this church and in Christ's church as a whole. It's by His power that we are united. It's by His power that fellowship and love grows. It's by His power that with one heart and voice we praise God, our Savior. Amen. Let us respond to the preaching of God's Word by singing together hymn 48, the stanzas 1, 3, and 4.